Hi. Welcome to the third episode, or third podcast entry on Saga Space. It's been... How long has it been? Let me see. (laughs) Jesus Christ. It's been three months. Two months? Two months. And... Maybe not quite. Maybe a month and a three-quarter mark. Uh, since Silent Walk, which I published on July 30th, and today is September 18th. So it's been quite a while. It's my last story, unfortunately. I'm sure I sounded very hopeful in Silent Walk in the intro and outro. But I was feeling pretty good then that I would uh, keep this up. Unfortunately, I started another story and kind of got stuck with it and then got distracted. I kept putting off finishing it, resulting in no publication in a month and a half or more. So uh, I apologize to my listeners. I don't have any listeners. (laughs) I, I apologize to myself for uh, doing that. Anyway, uh, today will be a little different. Rather than writing a story, I believe I will just tell a old Greek myth that has always been one of my favorites about two star-crossed lovers, which if they, if this story didn't influence Romeo and Juliet, it certainly referred to in the play by Shakespeare somewhere in the lines it's referred to. Anyway, I guess I will just start right up and just transition right into it right here rather than having some special intro. So the tale starts in Babylon long ago. I don't know what the dates are. I could look it up right now. I have the Wikipedia page up, but I won't. (laughs) Uh, And two youths to, uh, I imagine like 14, 15 year olds uh, share an apartment sort of complex uh, in the city of Babylon. Pyramus and Thisbe, these are the two youths, Pyramus being the male and Thisbe the girl. They live side by side as neighbors, but they are, they, they have a thing for each other, truly. But their parents don't see eye to eye and do not want their kids uh, relating to one another or being in contact with one another. So they've forbidden communication between the two. Fortunately for the, the lovers and unfortunately for their parents, there is a crack or a small crevice of some kind in the wall that's shared between both apartments, which is just large enough that they can... Paramus and Thisbe can be across from one another and talk and hear each other. Um, I don't know how deep the wall is. Don't know how large the crevice is. I guess it's not obvious for the parents. Or maybe they just they stuck up their, uh, their Fallout Boy poster from 300 BC. Or whatever their comparison would have been. You know, a poster of Lysistrata up there, you know, on some... Papyrus. Yeah. Could have been a thing. I don't know. Um, So they're communicating one day. 
and they finally decide, I don't know if it's Paramus or Thisbe, because I'm just sort of straightballing this. Spitballing, not straightballing. <laughs> uh, they hatch a plan that the next night they will meet under the mulberry tree on the hill over by the tomb of Ninus. Ninus, Ninus. Old King Ninus of Babylon. Uh, his name's uh, spelled N-I-N-U-S, if that's at all important to you. Not a lot of information online about him. He's a distant king. Well, they hatch this plan, and it's going to happen late at night. Their parents will be asleep. Hopefully nobody will be able to find them. And they'll finally be able to be together, and they'll run away. And just live the happiest life, happily ever after. Greek myth, fairy tale edition. Well, uh, when the night comes and the range time comes, uh, Thisbe decides to go first. She wraps herself up in a in like a shawl to stay warm, and heads on over to the mulberry tree by the tomb of Ninus. And while she's there, she gets there early. Paramus isn't there yet. She spots a lioness prowling around with fresh blood and just dripping from its maw just fresh from the kill and you know Thisbe freaks out and she just sprints off and in the fear and the haste and the worry her shawl flies off her because I mean who's got time to worry about a shawl when you got a lioness over there you know a 400 pound lion just feline that will just pounce on you and take you back to the den so she sprints off, and Linus sort of walks on over, prowls over, and she smells that a, a human must have been nearby, and she comes across the shawl, and she, uh, she shreds it apart, and blood gets all over it, flecks everything, um, but doesn't see any human, and just stalks off. She, her appetite's been sated for the afternoon, so she, or the night, I guess, so... Linus goes off on its way. Uh, and it's around that time that Paramus starts coming over. And, he, you know, he's feeling happy. He's probably walking with a, a jolly old gait. And then he, he just stops and freezes because he sees a Linus prowling away. Seemingly uninterested and unnoticing of a human boy over here. So he probably sighs. Uh, his relief, and then continues up to the mulberry tree on the hill by Ninus's tomb. And then he sees it flapping on a branch in the wind. Just this shredded shawl with blood speckled over it, and and his heart must have just sunk. And his fear and everything must have been palpable. I don't know if that's the right word for this case, but it was palpable. Um, and he's grief-stricken, as one might surmise. And in his fear and sadness, he pulls the blade that he has strapped to his side, pulls it from its sheath. Because, I mean, everybody needs to go traveling with a sword. You never know. Roads are dangerous. There's lionesses roaming around. That's the main worry, probably. Maybe a sphinx, if you happen to be, uh, uh, can't think of his name. 
My dog is really licking herself. All right, going for it, Francine, aren't you? What is that motherly complex called? If you happen to be Oedipus. But otherwise, you know, just bandits, normal things. So he, he pulls the sword from its sheath, angles it on the ground, and falls on it. Because he can't imagine living his life without his Paramus. Without his Paramus, without his Thisbe, without himself. He is Narcissist. Sorry, he is a Narcissist. He is Narcissist. Narcissus is uh, another Greek story. Whatever, it's where the term Narcissist comes from. And he falls on his side and blood is spewing from him. His life force is just leaving him. This, it wasn't a great choice to make in the time. He probably should have sat oh, somewhere and thought about it for a bit. Um, or maybe even invest, investigate a little more, see w if he could find Thisbe. But, um, you know, teenager, overbearing parents, just absolutely love-stricken. Not the best time to make decisions. Or the wisest decisions. Well, it's around this time... Thisbe starts walking back. She's probably in a huff, kind of got that thrill going off. Her, her heart's been beating. She just was terrified. And now this sense of overwhelming, oh, I'm alive. Everything's fine. I, I almost could have been killed by a lion, but now I'm fine. So not, And I'm going to run away with the love of my life. No one can stop me. Oh, I am going to have the time of my life. She was probably just going through a mixed bag of emotions but mostly happy I expect until she comes across Paramus under the mulberry tree and she's just so surprised terrified oh, who knows she takes his head in her, to her lap and just sees the light leaving his eyes he can't even speak but if he saw her, if he was even capable of being aware in that moment I'm sure he both felt horribly surprised, amazed, relieved, just whatever could have gone through his mind in that moment. But, I mean, he didn't have to worry about that much longer because he was gone. And she looked around, she saw the sword, his blood. She looked up and she saw her shawl blowing in the wind, covered with blood. That connected the dots of the lioness, bloody maw, shawl flying off. And her beautiful, beautiful Paramus coming across it and dying. And she just knew in that moment that she had to do the same. Now, personally, I don't agree with that, but it's part of the myth. So, uh, same thing as Paramus. She's not making up the best choices, not making the best decisions. And she, she draws his blade from him. And she falls in it as well, and dies, her body falling over his, to at least be together, hopefully, in death, where they couldn't be together in life. Now the gods, they were aware of this. They, they saw this whole thing, of course they did. Every Greek myth needs to have some sort of relative relationship to the world. And this act of love, valor, and sadness and tragedy touched them 
the hearts of someone, maybe Zeus, I don't know. He, he certainly has a thing for love, sort of, not really, physical love at least. So to commemorate the memory of Paramus and Thisbe, the gods changed the berries of the mulberry tree to blood red so as to always recognize the tragedy and love that occurred underneath that tree on the hill by the tomb of Ninus that fateful day outside of Babylon. So that's it. That's the story. Uh, pretty tragic story to explain uh, the color of berries on a mulberry tree. I, I don't think the Greeks have any explanation for blueberries or cherries. Maybe they do and it's just been lost. Maybe it was in the Library of Alexandria as just an alternative tale that uh, they decided not to transcribe anywhere else, which I find unlikely. Now that story apparently comes from Ovid's Metamorphosis. I haven't read his Metamorphosis. I recently bought it in the last few months. Don't know where I put the book though. So it could be on one of my book bookshelves. It could be beside my bed. I'm not quite sure where I put it. So I need to get to that. I originally came across a lot of Greek stories in middle school when I read Edith Hamilton's Greek myths. There's a little bit of Norse mythology at the end too. Um, but it was Edith Hamilton that really made me fall in love with mythology. So, anyway, I hope you like that story. It is pretty uh, open-ended. It's not really personal. It's not really something that I came up with. But it is my translation from the English <laughs> just off the top of my head. Because it's, it's a pretty easy story to remember. Uh, pretty cut and dry uh, plot. So. I will hopefully publish this soon. Maybe tonight. To, with some lo-fi music or something to make it sound alright. I'm listening to some as we speak, of course. And maybe I will come out with something else next week. Something that is either something I've made, or I'll just tell another story that isn't copywritten in this century. Since I, I think I'm pretty safe because Metamorphosis came out a long time ago. So. If not, Ovid, I hope you gave me permission for this. Edith Hamilton, I hope you did too. Anyway. Have a great day. Great week. Great year. Great life. Whatever's happening with you. And until the next. Bye.